Hey friends, Dave Hagen here. If you're fortunate enough to get the government to forgive some of your student loan debt, you have to pay taxes on it? What? That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. Hey, today I want to talk about an article from the Wall Street Journal talking about the taxability of forgiven debt. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, Dave, you... You know, you talk about articles from the Wall Street Journal, the L.A. Times, and maybe that's a narrow slice of life, but those are two of the periodicals that I tend to read on a consistent basis. So that's going to be the source of some of the topics. I I think they've got interesting things to say, both of those periodicals. So we're going to talk about the Wall Street Journal. Um, This article is talking about the fact that students who get relief, who seek relief on their student loans and don't have to pay the full amount of the loan at some point, could be bitten in the future by a tax bill. Hmm. Now, some of our longtime listeners have will remember that we've talked about student loans and not getting student loans or ways to repay student loans in previous episodes. And if you want to go back to that, if you're a newer listener, please go back and look at the list of episodes and, and check them out. But One of the things that we talked about in terms of how people will deal with uh, repaying student loans, especially student loans they can't afford, are uh, income-driven repayment plans. And the Department of Education has been doing these since about 2007. And one of the versions of these plans lets someone pay back 10% of their discretionary income each month for a period of time. And then at the end, the uh, you know, the balance is discharged or not discharged, but, but forgiven. And the, the private sector repays this 10% over 20 or 25 years. And then at the end of that period, the, the balance is forgiven. And that, I guess that sounds fair, right? I mean, it's one way of dealing with this student loan problem, but uh, under federal tax rules, the disappearance of that debt or that debt that's forgiven could potentially be taxable. It's deemed income potentially in the year that the debt is forgiven. So that means that somebody could be paying this 10% of their discretionary income for 20, 25 years. Hopefully they're doing better 20, 25 years from now. They're starting to accumulate some money for retirement. And then they get this big tax bill from the IRS. Wow. Now, let's think this back through just for a minute so that we completely understand that. Let's say you owe somebody uh, 500 bucks, and let's say you make an arrangement with them, maybe on a negotiated credit card, for example, to pay them 200 to settle it in full. Well, the unpaid portion, the remaining $300, which was forgiven, is a benefit in the eyes of the tax code and is income in that year. That's why... When people settle debt, many times they get a 1099-C from the company that um, forgave the debt. 
the government sees it as a benefit and they want to have you pay tax on that. Now, I'm not a tax person. I don't want you to get tax advice from me, but I've heard accountants say that there are some ways, sometimes, that you don't have to pay tax on that income or that forgiven debt and you really need to talk to your accountant or plan with your accountant for that period of time when that the chunk of that debt may be forgiven. But, hmm, you need to be ready for that. You need to think about that. Now, these delayed tax bills are starting to pile up. According to the Department of Education, or Education Department, I guess, technically, there's 7 million borrowers in the United States owing 389 billion dollars in income-driven repayment. Now, the first of these borrowers won't have any debt forgiven until 2027. But as the amount of people entering this plan continues to grow, there are going to be people in 2027, perhaps at the height of their income earning power or when they have assets, that are going to have to pay tax on this student loan that is discharged. And if you're one of the people that's in this plan, you need to be prepared to pay whatever those anticipated taxes might be. I think it's very doubtful that everybody's going to be able to make these tax payments. You remember um, several episodes we talked about the orthodontist that had a million dollars in debt, and he was in, I believe, one of these types of plans. And 20, 25 years down the line, that fellow is going to get a really big tax bill when he has all that income, which is partially forgiven debt, during that particular year. Now, the GAO, which is the Government Accountability Office, has said that in 2016, it expected the government to forgive $108 billion in student debt for all loans extended through 2016, and that number is growing. Remember, we said that the total amount of student loan debt is now well in excess of a trillion dollars. I think we said it was $1.4 trillion a number of shows ago. And the amount of debt expands, and as it expands, so does the amount of debt that's going into these kinds of problems. Now, the Obama administration uh, estimated as part of a, a budget that they put together several years ago that the average person in an income-driven plan would have an average of $41,000 forgiven at the end. So for borrowers in a 25% tax bracket, that means they're going to get a bill for 10000 bucks somewhere down the line. Now, that isn't the end of the world. That's something that someone could deal with. But what about all these people with a million dollars in student loan debt? What about all the other people that have even a half a million dollars in student loan debt? These are people that are in plans that are helping them now that potentially could bite them down the road. Now, there are a number of people that say, well, don't worry about it, because as these plans start coming up for an ending, um, Congress will likely face heavy pressure to remove the tax on student loan uh, debt forgiveness once these start to really become due. Well, that sounds good, but what if they don't? You need to be prepared for that. That's the point of today's podcast. Be prepared for that. Realize that that's something down the line. Don't get surprised. If you're already in a plan, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, but be ready for that. So what's today's takeaway? Well, I can think of a couple things. One, I mean, don't borrow money or in, and don't borrow money for student loans or don't borrow student loans 
if you can at all help it. Consider when you're going to school, a couple years of junior college. I know it doesn't sound glamorous, but it's, it's a good way to get prerequisites out of the way. Consider state schools that are cheaper. Consider no school um, if it's not going to be part of your overall plan or career. But really consider what the debt load's going to be in getting you through and getting you a degree. And then, of course, what is that degree going to yield you? I hate seeing people that have got two or three different degrees, anthropology, psychology, and then they have a problem monetizing it when they get out. So you really got to have a plan or you just don't borrow the, the money at all. College is, is too expensive these days to not have a plan to, to deal with it. Now, two, if you're going to borrow the money, have a plan to pay it back as soon as possible. Don't think about, well, I can defer it forever, forever, forever. Remember the, the orthodontist that owns a million, owes a million dollars. He actually borrowed 600000 deferred it for a whole bunch of really good reasons, but six hundred grew into a million dollars, and now he's got uh, a real big problem. Remember, the interest rates are not that good on these student loans anymore. When I was younger... I was getting uh, like an NDSL, National Direct Student Loan, I don't know, $800, $1,600. It wasn't as expensive to go to school then. And the interest rate was like 2%. Now some of these loans are bumping up into 8 9%. And remember, money doubles every 10 years if you're getting 7%. Well, debt does that at the same rate. So 7 8%, 9% is a very, very dangerous interest rate. It will run away from you quicker than what you can catch it. So if you are going to borrow, have a very specific plan. Make sure that you're committed to that degree and make sure that when you get out, the kind of job that you want will be sufficient to pay that debt back and then try pay it back as soon as possible. If you can make double payments, great. Triple payments, even better. Get rid of the debt. Dump the debt. Remember, that was one of the... Uh, five things that we uh, talked about in our five steps to financial success. Um, if you're already in a program, well, now, the, you know, the, the cow's kind of out of the barn, if you will. So if you're in a repayment program, plan for the anticipated tax bill in the future. Be ready with that. Sit down with an accountant and say, look, I need to figure out what that's going to be. Am I really going to have to pay tax? Is there some way to put myself in a position where I don't have to pay for that tax? Or if I do... What is that amount going to be and how am I going to deal with it at that point? Maybe, maybe you even start putting a few bucks away and growing it with some interest so that you'll be able to pay that at some point in the future. Um, just a thought. And fourth, um, wow, the government may bail you out on this tax issue, but I wouldn't count on it. This is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. As an additional bonus, each month, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications. 
let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, we have a written email here from Mickey, and it says, Hey Dave, do you have any guidelines on how much I should spend each month on smoking? How about a guideline on what to spend each month at nightclubs? I'm a single guy and feel like I need a pretty good budget for these items each month. Your thoughts? Well, Mickey, um, how much should you spend on smoking every month? I mean, I live in California, and Californians have kind of a a unique view. Most Californians have a unique view on smoking. I, I would think that your budget should be zero. Don't smoke. It's not good for your health, and certainly you're spending a lot of money. Boy, cigarettes are getting more and more expensive as the government taxes the, the living daylights out of them. I would do whatever you can to give up that habit. It's not healthy, and it's not a good idea financially. Do whatever you can. Get into one of these, you know, uh, five-day programs, 10-day programs, whatever they have. In fact, we got something from our health insurance company just last week, and they're talking about a quit smoking club, and it was part of, you know, there was no cost, I I don't think, and it was part of, um, um, you know, better health, uh, less uh, insurance coverage needed, that kind of a thing. So I would encourage you to do whatever you can to to give that up. And and I would also include, especially for the younger listeners, uh, those of you that, that vape. Um, I know you can hear on, on, um, uh, on the internet or, or read on the internet that, you know, it's perfectly harmless and it's just missed and all that. But um, there's a lot of studies, an equal amount of studies that show that any kind of vapor, moisture, smoke, particulate matter going into your lungs is, is not a healthy thing. So if you're vaping, you know, get, get rid of that. I, I know a young fellow that vapes and, um, it's got to cost him a lot of month to have all the paraphernalia and the, you know, the, the juice and the lighter and, and all that other kind of stuff. Wow. If you can give that up, that would be a great thing. Now, what should you spend each month on nightclubs? Well, I mean, that depends completely on how much you make and and what your entertainment budget is. My advice would be put together a spending plan every month. And and certainly one of the items is entertainment. Um, Maybe if you're younger, your entertainment budget's a little healthier than most. Um, And keep your your going out to nightclubs um, part of that entertainment budget. You've got to watch out what what you're spending, though. I mean, don't throw around a lot of cash. Um, And if you are, Make sure that you keep track of it. You really need to know because when you're out having a good time and, you know, green money starts to flow around, everybody's putting up money, money can go quick. Money can go really quick. So keep track of what you're doing and keep a little, I don't know, a personal diary, a little amount on the calendar so that you really can track what your spending plan is. Notice I didn't say budget, what your spending plan is for that. Good luck with that, because those are tough things to deal with, especially if you're a a younger listener. Now, they tell me that we've got um, a verbal or audio email from Claire. So, fellas, if you'd cue that up, let's listen to that. Hi, David. My name is Claire. Um, I'm working on developing two to three different kinds of income, and I was wondering what the best kinds of investments were. Stocks, property, cars. Wow, Claire, good for you thinking about sources of income, something other than just your day-to-day job. Um, Kudos, kudos, kudos to you. 
Um, a lot of people don't think about different sources of income or other sources of income besides their job and until they get much older and they're along in life. And um, good for you for thinking about that. Um, kudos to you also for thinking about diversifying your sources of income. Um, that way, if there's some issue in one particular part of the economy, you're not going to have that income stream go away. Your your money is going to be diversified and, and bringing you income from many different sources. So, so good for you. Um, great question. Uh, but my first, my first thought, my first substantive thought is um, cars are not a source of income. I'm sorry. They're just not. I mean, unless you're a collector of fine cars and that's what you do and you buy and sell fine cars, collectible cars. A car is nothing more than a depreciating asset, a terrible investment. And that's why I advise people don't, don't buy new cars if you can help it. Buy cars that are a couple of years old, buy cars that have already taken a great deal of depreciation, buy a car for cash so that you're not financing that car. But a car typically isn't going to bring you a lot of income, if at all. Now, I guess maybe if you're an Uber driver and and you're using that to generate income. But I don't think that's really what you had in mind. I think you were thinking more about uh, passive forms of income, income from uh, investments. So once we get down to that, my advice would be start with something small and easy. Start with some mutual funds. Start with maybe a stock portfolio that's diversified. Something that you can get in and out of if you need to. Something that you can keep an eye on. Something that's liquid. And then watch it grow. And again, I'm not a fan of particular stock issues, but I really like mutual funds because you've got someone managing that and they're looking over your shoulder or actually you're looking over their shoulder. Yes, you're paying them a fee many times, but they're professionals and you can get a pretty reasonable rate of return. Now, once that starts to grow, then you can diversify into other things. And I think that real estate, if you get in at the right time, not particularly a bad investment. Um, I remember when I was uh, young in my career, I would advise people, hey, no one's ever lost a dime in California real estate. But I was giving that advice in, what, the late 80s. Since that time, the real estate market's just taken a tremendous hit twice. So I don't think that it's the surefire investment that it once was. I think you need to sit down with an accountant and someone um, who's got some experience in real estate and, and ask them about that. And maybe you do consider that. I mean, I know someone that um, wanted to invest in real estate. They didn't particularly want to live in the place that um, they were buying because they like to move around from place to place and they like that flexibility, but they wanted to uh, invest um, in some real estate. And so they found someone, a friend of a friend, who had previously invested in real estate in the middle part of the United States, in the heartland. And this person, uh, you know, co-purchased a, a house uh, with this other investor, and they've had a tenant, and the property, I'm assuming, is going up reasonably well, and the rent is covering the, you know, the monthly payment, and they're, they're doing pretty well on that. And it wasn't a real big and expensive house, but it was a start, and that's a thing that you could replicate two or three or four times over and, and build a portfolio over a number of years. So if you're young enough, if you're early enough in your career and the money is there in the mutual fund that's been built up, um, yeah, you could take a chance and, and parlay that into some real estate. So I think that those are both really good investments. There's, there's a ton of other things that you could do too. I mean, 
I guess even music rights are bought and sold, but I think those get a lot more speculative. And unless that's your main line of work, I would stay out of that. I would stay with the the tried and true, almost things that are almost uh, uh, too boring. Uh, I remember a very wealthy individual that I met uh, several times at several events, and um, he was obviously a person of some means. And, you know, after several conversations, he told me that, the source of his, his wealth was owning trailer parks. And he really didn't find it exciting or sexy to talk about, but he had found that he had figured out a way to maximize the return on his investment in trailer parks and had owned apparently quite a number of them and had done quite well. But off the top of your head, you would never think, hey, I want to go out and invest in a trailer park specifically as a specific subsection of real estate to make a lot of money. So, um, Develop some expertise. Diversify. I think that's really important that you diversify. If you go into the real estate, don't clear out all of the mutual fund to go into the real estate. Have several sources of income. And I think that was part of your question too, was what can I do to diversify or have several sources of income? So I think you're, you're thinking in the right direction. You're moving in the right direction, except for cars aren't income. And um, I applaud you for doing that. Stay with it because you will put your head down and work hard for a number of years and the money that you're making on your job will pay your expenses and the income that you get from your investments will ramp up and when you poke your head up so many years down the line you will realize that these things have paid dividends and you're in a much better spot financially so stay with it stay with it on the long term stay in conservative things Uh, That's my advice, and good luck to you, Claire. Well, that's all the time that we have. In the coming weeks, we have podcasts that are going to talk about uh, folks that are retiring at 27. Sound interesting? We're going to talk about uh, cutting the cord some more because that was by far our most popular podcast, so we're going to give you some more information about that, not only mechanically how that's done, but emotionally what that's like. So keep coming back. we got good stuff planned. This is Dave Hagan. And you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.